In a famous 1956 Cannes Film Festival address, Orson Welles proposed, Moving pictures without narrative constitute a film no more than narrative without moving pictures. In less eloquent terms, Welles was establishing a filmmaking maxim that every single image a filmmaker puts on screen, every transition, every camera angle, and every bit of dialogue should advance the work's story in some way. Though it is directly addressing the filmic form, it isn't difficult to generalize this concept to art as a whole, video games included. Though there are those games that don't aspire to convey a story, everything from Super Mario Bros. to Final Fantasy VII to Mass Effect has setting, characters, and plot, all elements of story. It's not a far stretch to rephrase Wells' remark as, Gameplay without narrative constitutes a video game no more than narrative without gameplay. We're going to take a close look at Terranigma and just how narrative elements can be developed through gameplay. Also, I may have made up the whole thing about Orson Welles, including the quote, but it does sound good. Tonight on the Commune Podcast. Hello and welcome to Terranigma Cast 92. Uh, this will be Chapter 2 of Terranigma, our favorite action RPG of the decade. And we're going to talk a little bit about setting and structure and um, how those contribute to one another. So before we get started, uh, Wario fan, what games have you been playing recently? I, I've been playing uh, uh, Smash Brothers Brawl lately. How about this? That's a good one. What's your favorite character? A Mr. Game and Watch. Yes. <laughs> Have you ever <laughs> seen the uh, the famous online tribute to Mr. Game and Watch? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I I don't think I have. Oh, we'll have to link you to it after the uh, after the podcast. It's quite a tearjerker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you'll relate to it as a fellow Game and Watch player. I'm sure I'll relate to it as a fellow Game & Watch citizen. I, I I don't know, I don't think you guys know this, but I only move it one frame per second at all times. I always suspected. <laughs> <laughs> that really doesn't explain how you're able to form language that's uh, understandable. That's, that's just the, the internal translator in your brain, just immediately uh, converting all that data into your native yeah, it's like that thing where you only need to see a certain number of letters per word. Same thing, Warrior fan. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so, Adrian, uh, what have you been playing? Well, I've been playing Super Metroid, which is kick the I swore. And Tomb Raider. Yeah, and the Tomb Raider reboot. So how much have you played a Tomb Raider? Have you finished that? Yeah, I beat the whole game in just two days, but it was the second day was actually like a pretty long day. So that game, I think it was close to 10 hours till I beat it. So about the same length as Uncharted 3, though not quite as many of those um, scripted set pieces going on. So were you playing that as a fan of Tomb Raider or uh, just as someone curious in a reboot? Uh, Neither. I just picked it because it was on Gamefly, and I wanted a game to play. 
All right, nice. Golem, uh, perhaps I should ask you which uh, Space Harrier 2 are you playing recently? <laughs> actually, <laughs> I, uh, I spent so much time on Chapter 2, I got fed up and actually uh, had to cool off a little with uh, Hudson Schmups. And Star Parodier did not really help. Yeah, that's not a very satisfying one. I feel like the first six missions, I don't know why I'm winning. And then in the last two, I don't know why I'm losing. Uh, but I beat the game anyway. Well, that's it's, something uh, to be proud of. <laughs> Bomberman has this bomb attack that creates a pretty big radius when it hits enemies. So it's easy to cheese through the entire game using that, even if you don't have it all the way powered up. Mm. Is that a, a big radius or a big gradius? <laughs> Well, wow, that, that's copyright infringement, what you just said, Warrior Fan. So. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. The cotton gets sued. <laughs> Episode 26. <laughs> All right. So I'll just mention one thing I've been playing recently, just because I think it's uh, in some way likely pertinent to what we'll be discussing. I started out Dragon's Dogma this week, and... Aside from the my response to the gameplay itself, I think one of the things that is really unpleasant about playing Dragon's Dogma is how poorly put together the engine or the graphics or something seem to be. Everything clips in the game. You can't walk next to a wall without your sword being entirely inside the wall. Climbing up monsters just looks obscenely bizarre because your head will be inside them most of the time or you won't uh, be able to tell what direction you're facing or anything. So it's a game that really struggles to keep my suspension of disbelief. So just as like a frame for reference, are are we talking like 32-bit generation style clipping or like GameCube, what I would see there? Uh, I don't know the distinction you're making. Like, I feel like caring about stuff like my sword clipping through a wall is pretty recent, right? That sort of stuff happened on the N64 all the time, and you wouldn't bat an eye at it. Yeah, true. It, it happened back then, but, I mean, this is on par with what you would see on the N64. Okay. It's not something that I see anymore, and which is particularly <laughs> jarring in contrast to the graphics, I guess. Stuff like a sword clipping through the wall doesn't bother me so much as that one of the main game mechanics is climbing monsters, and it, it just looks like utter garbage. Uh, oh, so mm-hmm. probably another game you could compare that to is Shadow of the Colossus, and if it had any clipping problems. Yeah, and because I don't if think it, it, if think it, it didn't, did. then there's no excuse. Well, I don't know about making excuses one way or the other, but I don't think Shadow of the Colossus did, and even another game from this generation that did it, Lords of Shadow, our favorite Shadow of the Colossus ripoff, um... <laughs> didn't have the problem either. So Dragon's Dogma is particularly old-looking. But that's only tangentially related to our discussion. I just wanted to mention something that really breaks my suspension of disbelief to the extent that it affects my ability to play the game or enjoyment that I get out of the game, I should say. The 
the art of storytelling is a composition, built from elements you'll remember learning in the third grade. Plot, setting, characters, and theme. Perhaps the easiest to isolate is setting, which will provide a concrete base for a conversation on how Terranigma voices story through the video game form. So, what we're going to be talking about is setting and structure, and I think that the correlation uh, and interplay between those two elements is what helps create an interesting uh, world to explore, what creates something more than an on-paper map. So, I think we're going to start off by talking about setting and... We'll be talking in relation to Chapter 2. Chapter 1 setting is consistent throughout. Uh, you explore five consecutive towers. And we could talk about how that contrasts with Chapter 2 if we get to it. But Chapter 2 has some distinct environments from, I guess, they're supposed to represent different parts of the world. So, to get started, let's come up with a definition of setting. Adrian, what do you think composes setting? Not necessarily in a video game. Let's just start at a general level. I would say setting primarily involves presentation. You know, the visual elements, things like that. Okay, uh, visual elements. Anyone else? What else would you call part of setting? I guess um, in elementary school, what they always told us setting was... Uh, time and a place and yeah. that and it like suggests a certain you know cultural moment i guess you would call it yes yeah, so i think that the most basic element uh, are those two pieces I, I think that that doesn't take much to reiterate so how would we translate that to dungeons what when we play a dungeon do we perceive as the time and place golem the time is a hard one to answer. Like, so just like uh, Ocarina of Time, for instance. Uh, I go to Kakariko Village, I talk to people, and then I go up to Dodongo's cavern. And so there, like, a time makes sense. But in Teradigma, time is such a goofy thing. You're creating a world, and suddenly animals are talking to you, and I just don't have any sense of time. Whereas on the other hand, place is really well-defined, because... Uh, the world map is really fleshed out, even though uh, it's abstracted and you're this tiny sprite walking around on a huge area. Uh, you still see mountains and trees and uh, rivers and stuff that you walk past. So uh, when I go to Colorado, it makes sense that I'm going to a mountainous area. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, Tibet is snow and stuff like that. So, Warrior Fan, within a dungeon... Are there other elements that you would say contribute to setting beyond just the uh, environment or the trees and walls and stuff? Uh, I don't know. Maybe, um, like, the scale or the size of the dungeon. How deep is it or how high is it or how many square meters is it? <laughs> yeah, that's something that you always check for. Right. Uh, so when you say how deep or how high, I presume you mean how many floors are in the dungeon? Uh, yeah, so. essentially. Okay. Or if you know, if it, if it's like an outside dungeon, like a mountain, it's, it's there's kind of like less defined floors, but 
still a sense of scale the same, I think. Yeah, I think if we were to abstract it beyond um, what we're seeing, I think there's still a notion of, of floors. The other thing that I would add that I think composes setting are the enemies. I think that they're, I guess if we were to take it back to literature terms, they'd be the cast. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think realistically that's what we're dealing with because I don't think that they function as characters in the plot. So how do you guys feel about enemies being setting? They function a lot better as setting than they do as gameplay challenges, I think. <laughs> uh, but in general, they do... Uh, the sprite work is really nice, and uh, like like the Quaker enemy is really memorable, and it makes sense that he's in the mountain level. Yeah, generally I think the enemies are characteristic of their environments, so that's the extent to which I think of them as setting, I guess. Okay, so now that we have our basic idea of setting, Adrian, what is... A dungeon that stands out to you from Chapter 2, or maybe just the first one that comes to mind, that has a distinctive setting. And uh, could you describe it, setting? Okay, well, to me, it definitely has to be the Zue, or the Zoo, however you pronounce that. (laughs) Yeah, I think we'll go with Zue, but who knows. (laughs) Yeah, to me, that one was the most distinctive, because, well, it also has to do with structure, but... I don't know, setting and structure kind of, they seem kind of interdependent, but whatever. With they the zoo, are. It, it's the only dungeon that it's in kind of like a wildlife area. It's it's not, yeah, that that's in a wildlife area. It's not like, you know, the towers where there are distinct floors and tours and things like that. But it's not, you know, like the caves in the dungeon that came before it either. So, I don't know. The idea of a dungeon that's like in the wide open area instead of more constrict something more constricted like a cave or even a canyon kind of set that dungeon apart for me. Yeah, it's almost not a dungeon, so to speak, in the yeah, traditional it, sense of the word. Yeah, it almost isn't. So what are some of the enemies that are in uh, Zue? I don't know their specific names. Oh, I, I don't care their names. <laughs> <laughs> There's that iguana enemy that tries to hit you with its tail. There's also the, um, oh wow, hang on. Uh, I'm drawing a blank here now. Spearmen? Spearmen. Wait, are those? Yeah, I thought those were in the mountains. Well. Humans, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, those turtle things. Yeah, they're annoying. The gamoras. Gamoras, okay. They do, yeah, they do gamera. You don't die. <laughs> um, Actually, I don't think there are even that many distinct enemies there, because those are the only two that come to mind, the turtles and the iguanas. So, what would you say, well, not what would you say, but do you recall what the place in the world of that was? Yeah, it was in the, the lower section of the Africa, but it was still above the canyon, which is near the bottom of the map. Yeah, it's somewhere in the desert, I suppose. Or, uh, in the more lush area. Yeah, sorry, not the desert, the uh, savannah is the word I was looking for. So, Warrior fan, do you remember what the color palette was of Zue? Well, it started out with lots of dull browns and whatnot, and then uh, once it started reviving the place, it would go into lush greens and blues and nice, pleasant stuff. <laughs> 
It was very pretty. <laughs> it was. I, I do enjoy pretty. All right, and Golem, the hard question, uh, what was the time <laughs> uh, <laughs> on the clock of uh, Zuei? Or, or how could you, could you conceive it temporally? Well, it was sometime after birds existed, but before animals existed. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the history of the real world? Straight out of Genesis. Well, birds do come from dinosaurs. We all know that. <laughs> yeah. But is there a sense of time in the dungeon? Most of the dungeons, um, you kill the boss, and then all of the inhabitants are turned back into normal creatures. But I guess Zue is kind of interesting in that you heal the dungeon bit by bit, and there are three distinct areas that you... uh cover with grass so you're able to check time that way and there's also i couldn't tell what caused this or if it was just random but you do get rain showers if you hang around long enough yeah i think that's a particularly interesting element did did anything happen because of that or is that just there because i didn't Uh, notice any changes when it rained yeah same here did not notice anything either i think it was just a visual element it was just a quintet showing off that they could make dynamic weather couldn't it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think it's interesting because Terranigma, as we've mentioned, does feel like a game outside of time. And I think that that makes sense within the story of the game, that it's happening sort of in a world in stasis. But I think that the rain showers are particularly unique in that they do lend almost the only sense of real time that you get in the entire game. Or at least, sorry, I should say in the first two chapters. So Zue does stand out as one that has a bit of a stronger sense of, of time. So, Warrior Fan, what's another dungeon that uh, stands out in its setting? That poisonous tree. Eve Green, or Evergreen, or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who named these places? Was, I, was it the plants? I feel like someone who doesn't speak English named them. <laughs> <laughs> well, how could they if they weren't revived yet? <laughs> Maybe I guess Ark's naming them. That's the only thing we can conclude. All right, I'm naming this continent Colorado. <laughs> this feels like a Tibet to me. <laughs> uh, so, what are some of the elements of Eve Green setting? A dark inside. I, I think it's supposed to be inside of the tree, but it's really more of a cave type of looking thing. And there's poisonous pools of water all over, and huge deep basements, and parasites infecting the place. Yeah. So when you get in, or when you enter the dungeon at first, I just remember this because I just played it. Ark says something like, "If this tree was a person, these must be its veins." So <laughs> <laughs> that goes beyond setting because now we're talking about what the how the game is describing itself, basically. But I think he's trying to tell you that it's like the roots or something, the root structure of the tree. Oh, I just I just read that as like a really awkward figurative statement, that like trees <laughs> are like people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's why it was phrased that way. But do you get the impression that the entire dungeon was inside the tree or the trunk of the tree? I it didn't make any sense to me. <laughs> Especially when you look at how wide the tree is uh before you enter it. It's only <laughs> it's only like ten times as wide as Ark. 
Okay, so enemies in Eve Green? Uh, oh, that was the like, gargoyles. Yeah, they were the gargoyles. Fish who would abandon their habitat to flop <laughs> around in front of you. <laughs> They're so vicious that they can't even keep themselves alive for hunger. <laughs> I hate you so much, Shark. I'll sacrifice myself. <laughs> One more enemy. Anyone? The friggin' flowers? Yeah. Yeah. They uh, were kind of annoying because of the way that they had a shield. It was nice that you wrote that post uh, about enemies having defense in action games. And then I played that dungeon and it was really frustrating that they would block and I could just, just had to wait. Yeah, it's, that's brawling. Don't you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how Double Dragon plays. <laughs> uh, so Golem, how about you? Let's do one more dungeon. I guess, uh, my favorite was Eclamata. I guess I would say its setting was like a mountain. It was very cold. Oh, was it? <laughs> <laughs> one interesting aspect of the setting was that Yetis were an, uh, an enemy in the first part of the dungeon. And that's the dungeon you play to rescue men, so I get, or humans. So I guess that's why those are there. Yetis are a typical cold mountain thing, but there's also, uh, the wolves you get, and then the weirdo crystal enemies. Yeah, um, much of an enemy, but. Yeah. That's on par with the, uh, Ristar enemy design, I would say. The blobs with eyes Actually, on them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that setting was particularly fleshed out because there are six different caverns you go into, but you also, like, so a large part of the dungeon is transitioning between scaling the outside of the mountain and exploring its insides. So you really get a good sense of the uh, character of the setting that way. Yeah, it's not as monotonous as some of the, like, Ebreen we mentioned, the entire dungeon is set in that root structure or whatever it is, those caves, whereas Eclamata varies between different settings. So, enemies, you mentioned the yetis, the crystals, uh, there were also the imp guys, or whatever they were. Oh, they block... The The ones that confuse you. I never did get them to confuse me. Oh, really? I did. Oh, they confused me, like, every time. I hated them. (laughs) (laughs) They confused me twice, and the second time... I think I made the grave mistake of trying to wait it out, and that took really long. Yeah, I wasn't even totally sure if you could wait it out. I tried that, and then, like, it just never worked. I think it may have been measured by how far you walk. Not sure. I actually had the pleasure of, at one point, being confused enough times. Like, it reverses or rotates your controls each time you're confused. I got confused enough times that my controls went back to normal. <laughs> Either that or it was a glitch in the game where it said that I was confused, but my controls were, were normal anyway. Uh, yeah, so those guys are a real delight. Uh, anything that stands out about the time of the, or the passing of time in Eclamata? I was looking at like how each dungeon blocks you. And uh in the first two, in Greycliff and Eve Green, 
you get items that change what you can do, but then in Zue, you're changing the landscape, and that affects where you can go. And the same thing happens in Eklamata, where you make friends with a Yeti so you can get across the river, and then eventually you cause an avalanche, and that, like, fills in the river. So there is a sense of time, uh, similar to Zue, by the changing of the landscape. And there's also that weirdo goat cutscene where, uh, <laughs> I guess in terms of time, the most interesting part is that you initially have to wait for nightfall and there's nothing you can do. Uh, you could put the controller down and you'll get to nightfall just as quickly as if you run around stabbing everything. So it's the only part in the game so far where you just wait. Yeah, and that's another instance of giving some presentation of realistic time uh, outside the sort of void that exists in the game. Okay. Um, so that covers most of the interesting dungeons there. I think Grey Cliff is, uh, to some extent, just a lesser Eclamata. Uh, it has some of the same elements, but it's more uh, uniform. And Canyon, I hesitate to even call that a dungeon. I'm not surprised no one brought that up because I don't know what it is. It's like, uh... It's the dungeon three of chapter, or the tower three of chapter two. I would call it even lesser than that, but fair. So yeah, the canyon setting-wise is brown and rocky, I guess. Actually... It doesn't even have unique enemies. Does oh, wait, it that, that is the uh, interesting point I wanted to bring up, that you want to talk about settings and enemies. The canyon has the only enemies in Chapter 2 that are borrowed from Chapter 1, the Wisps. Yeah, that's true. I don't know what to make of that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I guess they uh, were attracted to Simba or something. <laughs> so I wasn't the only one making that joke. <laughs> I think it's impossible to see a lion cub and not immediately think of the Lion King. I also don't know how to pronounce lamb. Lean. Lime. Did you start it? Did you start singing when you saw the sunset scene? <laughs> no, but I got out my uh, Elton John CD and put it on. <laughs> it's got just the thing. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that covers the dungeons, and then there, of course many more settings throughout the game, but I think that Chapter 2 has, like, the realistic settings, or the, the naturalistic settings, I guess, what I'm going for. At a base level, the setting for exploration gameplay in Terranigma is just a set of digitally represented maps. Abstractly speaking, the player's only interaction with these maps is moving the character within the borders toward an exit. To connect that abstract representation to its aesthetically communicated setting, what we've just discussed, we'll first need to take a look at what defines the structure of the game world. Let's talk about structure. So. Once again, let's try to come up with a definition of structure. Uh, Adrian, you mentioned something in the chat beforehand, so what would you say structure is? Well, I wrote that 
it's the way that game elements are ordered and positioned. So, uh, just to keep things clear, this is also referring to, you know, the rooms themselves and their relationship with other rooms and how they're organized. Okay, so that is sort of a definition of the structure of the flow of gameplay, I would say, right? Gameplay would certainly come into it because we are kind of talking, it, it is a subset of level design when we're, when we start talking about the functional structure of things and where actual game elements are. Yeah, I guess gameplay, I was thinking of the exploration uh, gameplay that is, is a fundamental part of uh, Terranigma, at least. Right. So, Warrior fan, what else would you say contributes to the structure of a dungeon outside of its setting? Like uh, the design, or how long yeah. it takes to get to the boss? Sure, those are uh, elements of it, I'd say. Well, I didn't know if they were legitimate elements or made up <laughs> Oh, I don't have any legitimate elements in mind. Just <laughs> <laughs> we're just throwing out any elements you'll take, right? Pretty okay. much. I don't think that there is a, uh, at least not one that I uh, have found that is a formal universal definition of structure. Golem? I think anything I would say would just be a refinement of what Adrian said, but I guess as relates to dungeons, the salient parts would be how big rooms are, how many exits each room has, and how you are locked off from different rooms. Yeah, I guess the legitimate element I was looking for was how big rooms are, I think is, if we look at the most literal level of structure, not structure of flow or structure of gameplay, just structure of level design, then the first element that comes to mind for me is the size and shape of any given room. That is its explicit structure, uh, if we were just to look at a map. So, Golem, what is a uh, particular dungeon that you'd like to describe the structure of? I was a fan of Eclamata, so I think Eclamata is a nice ending dungeon because it goes, like, it has the most variety out of any of the dungeon structures where, uh, so for the first time getting past the river, you have to go through a cave and then backtrack all the way out through the cave the way you came in. So structure there is still, like, pretty linear. You don't get anything like Zue, but also uh, it makes sure you double back over yourself. The second part, before, like, after getting across the river, before the avalanche, uh, the structure opens up a little bit where you get alternate paths and you can find different items if you go out of your way. See, And that causes some rooms to have more than two uh, exits, which is when you start getting exploration when a room has more than two exits. Well, I would say that exploration begins before that. Exploration begins when there's anything that you can uh, discover that's not in one screen. Okay, so if a screen is, is just, like, two screens tall and I go north, I am exploring? Yeah, I guess maybe they don't have a formal definition of that either. But, yeah, I would say so. I mean, you don't know something that is a part of the environment. So is it not exploration when you walk right in Mario and see a question mark box that you didn't know was there before? 
Yeah, okay. I think I, I see what you're getting at. When I talk about more than two exits, I mean, uh, I guess actually, so it would be important to say that the way I play Terranigma, uh, I try to run around the border of the room, get all of the exits, and then decide which one I want to go through. And typically I don't have to make that choice. And I feel like that's typically a really interesting choice to have to make in a dungeon. And I just meant to refer that that choice comes up uh, during that second part of Eclamata. Right. The first part is, exit-wise, relatively linear. But I think that the fact that you know or have learned to run around the borders of the room to find an exit is in and of itself a higher level of exploration than just walking every square inch of a stage. Yeah, I would say that's fair. Although typically, Terranigma doesn't have really wide open rooms for you not to see stuff. I guess the river room, once it's avalanched in, is pretty big, and then it just turns out there's nothing in it. But uh, typically you get pretty linear paths, right? Or, uh, like, thin paths, I guess I should say. Uh, Well, opening that up, does anyone... Can anyone think of any areas where the the rooms are more open or where there's a difference between what Golem is describing as, I guess, corridors and a different type of room? Well, uh, I've been looking... Before this podcast started, I've been looking at this way a lot because, you know, that's kind of the one that stands out to me the most. And there are some open rooms or the rooms that become more open where there's three different entrance and exit points like in the center or there's a pool that once it becomes full near the center of this way you can either travel north east or southwest and that's an example of where the dungeon becomes a lot more well it's a lot more complicated because there's more ways to go but for the most part while the dungeon does get more open there is still a linear path you know, to the dungeon, especially as you complete the first two altars. In fact, I got stuck in this way, and once I figured out what to do, I pretty much just breezed through the rest of it. <laughs> it's kind of a silly moment. I'm I sure guess, you can all guess what it was. Yeah, I got stuck there a little bit as well. When you described Zue, it struck me that the paths you mentioned in the open spaces opened up only after... Like, you're talking about the paths that open up once you get river to flow, right? Yeah. So that's neat that, like, you they restrict your exploration and then it opens up over the course of the dungeon. Right. But, okay, so we're still talking about path structure mostly. Just in terms of room structure, for getting exits, is there any distinction in the way that you explore rooms in different dungeons? In terms of, I guess not forgetting exits, but in terms of finding those exits, uh, we take for granted that uh, a room has two exits and you just know how to get to them. But how do we distinctly find those exits in different dungeons? I pretty much do the same thing Greg does, and that is to basically circle around the ed- at the edges. Warrior fan? I don't think I have anything interesting to uh, <laughs> to contribute for this. <laughs> So the thing that I noticed in tandem with Adrian's comment about Zue being more open path-wise is that I think Zue is more open room-wise as well, where you can't guess from the point of entry of the room where the uh, points of exit will be. 
Whereas, by contrast, Eve Green is all corridors. So you don't even have to bother with the following the, the borders of the room to look for exits. In Eve Green, you just follow the main path, and the branches are clear branches in the path itself. Like, there's a, a Y or a fork where you're walking. Whereas in Zue, the fork is based on two different points of exit from a square. Do you see what I'm saying? I think what you're saying is true for the first altar, but once you get past those black rocks, things tend to clamp down in terms of uh, how open a room is. Yeah, it does. They get more corridor-like, especially when you're walking alongside the river or in the river, for instance. But I think Eclamata also has some of those more open areas, and I think that that is part of the contrast you were talking about between interior and exterior in Eclamata, in that the interior regions are more built from the corridor structure of E-Green, whereas the exterior regions are more reminiscent of the open fields of Zue. Like the opening screen of uh, Eclamata is like that. Yeah. Another uh, interesting aspect of structure I wasn't sure what to make of is that after the segment after the avalanche, whenever you're outside, you're always in the same room, but you are just climbing up the same room uh, using caves to go in and out. And I wasn't sure if that really had any significance or if that was just like a just a neat touch the developers had. There's a bit of that in Greycliff as well, isn't there? Yeah. Where you're returning to the same room from different points. As a matter of fact, it's in E-Green also, except the difference there is that you're dropping through uh, holes, which I guess is built from Tower 3? Tower 4? Four, 4. Tower 4. The style of gameplay introduced there. I also found that in um, Zway, where... The first and third altar I discovered uh, long before I had the required amount of souls to restore the land. So you ended up, what, grinding for enemies? No, I ended up having to go back to an area that I was before. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's how souls works. So you had to backtrack. What other places? Are there any of them that use force backtracking? In which dungeon? Oh, I just meant in general. Uh, in, 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 in the dungeon. Yep. Canyon? <laughs> <laughs> Oops, I went the wrong way. Yeah, that is true. That, if anything, Canyon is sort of a, like, micro version of what any given dungeon is. It, like, puts an entire dungeon on one screen for you. Oh, like the, like when Liam asks you to point the way forward through the maze. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's rubbing in that, hey, look, these are all just mazes, right? So you like mazes so much, play this stupid tiny maze. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that that does, whether or not it was intentional, which I assume it wasn't, I think that that does highlight the difference between exploring a maze just as a set of forked paths and exploring a maze that's comprised of rooms. 
if there wasn't any significance to the structure of a room, then every dungeon would be canyon. Can you repeat that? If there wasn't any significance to the structure of a room, then every dungeon would boil down to, or would not just boil down to, but would play the same as one of the mazes in Canyon. I think that's fair. Like, part of what gives the mazes character is that you're doing these, uh, like, gameplay challenges along the way to further your progress, and that solving the maze in and of itself is, at the end of the day, pretty easy. But to get to the snowgrass leaves, you're going to have to get confused a few times along the way. I think that's what makes a dungeon distinct from a maze. Are dungeons not mazes? Well, a dungeon would be a category of maze. But a maze in and of itself does not constitute or does not imply every element that constitutes a dungeon. So what constitutes a dungeon then? Some of the things we've talked about, I guess, like fighting enemies and exploring rooms, uh, interacting with keys, as Golem would call them, to open different parts of a dungeon. Hmm, okay. So, to continue that, another thing that constitutes a dungeon is setting, uh, whereas a maze does not inherently imply setting. Unless, I mean, I guess you could consider a piece of construction paper and a workbook uh, a setting. I guess if we wanted to be dicks about it, our English teacher would probably say we had to. But elevating beyond that level of abstraction, how would you say that the setting is aligned with the structure in Zue, since we've discussed that one a couple times? Yeah, that's what I thought about, because um, with the whole structure thing, and why earlier I said it was, they were interdependent is because it wouldn't make sense to have a dungeon with floors and then make that your sort of your safari area. Unless, I don't know, you were getting really creative and had a safari tower or something weird <laughs> like that. And for some reason, I feel like that undercuts the uh, choice of the safari. Unless you're Pandora's tower, then you can do whatever you want. There's a Skies of Arcadia does that, right? Does what? The, like, treehouse village. Yeah, oh. that's, that's sweet, though. Yeah. But that's not a safari. That's a, that's a jungle with yeah. giant trees. What are you talking about? This is totally, this is totally different setting, but Adrian just said it's exactly the reason. It has multiple yeah. floors. It has trees. <laughs> you can, you can see that same thing in, in Zelda too, where, you know, the Tower of Hera isn't going to have these large rooms instead it's going to have more floors than the normal dungeon it has like i think four floors which most dungeons usually only have like two i could be completely wrong with the numbers but the idea is that there are more floors and but the rooms themselves aren't nearly as wide or long as they would be in other dungeons like say uh the eastern palace yeah, you're definitely right about that. It's exaggerated even further in uh, Link Between Worlds. Yeah, and in... Oh, wow, really? Okay. But anyways, in this way, the other thing is that um, because it is a whole safari, uh, the whole lock and key thing is not done with, you know, literal doors or anything like that. It's the main lock 
is with the rivers themselves, which you restore. And that's another game element that is part of the structure of the dungeon. And also how they keep you from going to areas where you shouldn't to kind of limit the player and how far they can go and keep themselves from getting lost. Because if you did have the entire sway open to you from the beginning, that would just be um, overwhelming. In fact, by the third altar where I restored that last river, I accidentally left the dungeon because it actually connects back to the beginning again. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> Terranigma likes shortcuts like that, and when you're trying to learn a dungeon, uh, I find they don't do a great job of conveying which path is the way forward and which path is the shortcut backward. Yeah, speaking of doing a job conveying... I think the reason why it didn't just click for me that you can push those stupid logs is because, well, one, they're really fat and heavy looking that someone like Art doesn't look like they can push him. Two, there's two of them on both sides, and I don't know why. I think it would have been more clearly conveyed because if there was only one, there would be a very clear line of motion that says this log goes in the river. But when you have two on both sides, you don't know. I, I, I'm, that's the reason why it didn't click for me because both of them could go in the river but really you're just supposed to come in from the left push that one out of the way and then go on with the rest of the dungeon anyways that was a that was kind of just an aside thing but yeah about the structure sway yeah uh, I'm not sure what else to add okay anything else to add anyone else about the settings influence on the structure of Zue or how you perceive the structure of Zue? I guess Zue is the one where I was the most confused, and I don't know why, but I just associate like a rainforest or jungle or safari or whatever, it's, like a hot... It's not a jungle. It's not a jungle. <laughs> well, it's also not a rainforest. <laughs> I just mean like really lush, hot areas I don't know why, but they have a connotation of being confusing to navigate. I think that's a commentary on culture and civilization, isn't it? What, the asphalt jungle? I don't know. Uh, no, not the asphalt jungle. Lawrence of Arabia. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there's a... I think what you're getting at is that there's like a lack of structure, naturally, in those areas. Yeah, it feels like rooms are kind of spaghetti together. Which is, I meant a lack of structure in those areas naturally, not in uh, Zue itself. Oh, uh, uh, just like a desert doesn't have a explicit structure to it. It's just an area. Yeah. Okay. So how about Eve Green? Uh, how does the setting reflect upon the structure there? That was kind of weird because, as you pointed out, Eve Green, the insides of the tree are larger than the tree outside is. Also, there are pools of purple liquid, which when you're ascending and descending a tree, it's like, how does that make sense? The tree has floors inside of it. I mean... (laughs) So... I'm still pretty sure that it's roots. It's not the inside of the tree. You only go down from the entry point, and you start at the bottom of the tree. Not that that makes a big difference uh, about why there are pools there, but 
that at least gives some context to why it's so huge. Although, again, still unreasonably huge. Regardless. It's, um, yeah, go on. It's also notable as uh, the only dungeon where you go into basement floors. Well, uh, aside from the fire pike room in Eclamata. Yeah. Um, the bottom of the canyon, not a basement? Oh, yeah, I, I guess that would be. I mean, not until you build a house there, it's not. <laughs> yeah, but we don't talk about the canyon. We talked about it for a couple minutes here. I think yeah, actually, extensively. <laughs> I wasn't planning on that. I wasn't ready to, to mention canyon in this podcast. Uh what about, like, Eve Green resonates with it being the roots of a tree? It has plant life inside of it? No, that's, you're comparing setting to setting, though. Damn! <laughs> <clears throat> uh, so, for me, I guess, if, if no one else has anything, I thought that Eve Green, as I mentioned before, was the most Carter-based of all the dungeons. I think that there was maybe one room that was wider, the one that had water, a lot of water in it. Um, and there might have been one or two of those. But for the most part, even the larger rooms are built from intertwining corridors uh, that loop back and make it square that way by, uh, by folding in on themselves. So I think Eve Green has that structure that I said was different than just or, or the more explicit version of forking paths and that made sense with to me at least with it being the roots of a tree. So that much makes sense but it I guess what doesn't gel for me there is that like there's no lateral movement you you pretty strictly go up and down floors as you get different items and progress and if we were talking about roots, I guess I would have expected, like, a path that goes really far north and then a different path that starts from the center and then goes all the way east, and there's no connection between the north path and the east path. On a large-scale level, you're right, it doesn't do that, and that is more of what I would expect. But it is, to my knowledge, the only dungeon that has dead ends in it. Eclamata, I know at least, the Snowgrass Leaf room is a dead end. Um, yeah, the only dead end in the tree that I can think of is where you get the item that allows you to swim, so then you have to crawl back up that long route and then access the new areas now that you can now that you can finally swim. Well, again, I'm talking about on a room-based level, not a not in terms of paths oh. that have dead ends. There are, yeah, those parts didn't make any sense to me where there was just like a like a corner where enemies would hang out and there was nothing else there. Yeah, I think it uses that to confuse you a little bit that you'll take a left turn and oh it's just a bunch of gargoyles in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> Guess they just did that to fill out, you know, space. Yeah, I gotta say gargoyles didn't make a lot of sense to me in that dungeon either. <laughs> you think you you think they'd have something more like Spiders or termites or something like that. Things that actually would be inside of a tree. Yeah, I think that weakened the setting a little bit. Eh, I don't know. I still don't mind too much. 
I guess the other thing why I don't know, I'm I'm kind of not buying the whole that it's the roots, it's because the rooms they're kind of big, although, you know, quarter like or they're you know, intertwining quarters as you described, but they're almost all of the same size that you can just imagine it as going through different levels of the tree's trunk. Kind of like the Greek Deku tree. Yeah. Go. Oh, yeah. Eve Green has such a strict sense of verticality that I think complements the tree trunk approach. Whereas, like, uh, uh, Greycliff has some verticality to it, but also a decent amount of, uh, horizontal movement. So that you couldn't say that's a tree. Yeah. And not only that, but the, the verticality was in the, you know, the outdoor sections, not inside the, not too much inside the cave areas themselves. And it would kind of do the whole death mountain thing where you go in, go up a stair, then come out on a cliff above the one you were just on below. Yeah. Right. And so I guess, uh, well, that leads me to think about Eve Green is that it just doesn't do a great job of, uh, combining its structure with its setting because the corridors give you the idea that you're inside the, as Ark says, vein structure of something. But the very fact that we can't even decide whether it's the trunk of the tree or the roots <laughs> uh, doesn't speak to its uh, success in translating structure to setting. Okay, so in general... I guess I just said that Eve Green sort of didn't succeed, but on the broader scale, how well do you, would you say that the Terranigma dungeons each feel unique beyond their, or at least the Chapter 2 dungeons, feel unique beyond their setting? In what sense are they not just palette swaps? Or, or do you think that they're just palette swaps? They're unique in that they're scattered all over the globe. On different places. Okay, that's, really. What, what was the question? Though. Gosh darn it! If the question is, are the dungeon, are the dungeons unique locations or simply aesthetic swaps? Oh, oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. They're not. I don't think any of them are aesthetic swaps. Not even the towers. Not even the first five towers in the beginning, where they literally are just sharing the same tile set. Even those are unique among themselves. But structurally, are they unique in that they provide different challenges uh, and yeah. gameplay elements, or are they unique structurally? Do they create a different space? Oh, creating a different space? Mm, not so much because they're still doing... They're still more floor-based. That's a stupid way to put it, but basically there are multiple rooms or, like, Two, three or four rooms that you ascend and descend, they're not wide open like they are in Sway. You're not going in and out of caves like you are in Grey Cliff or Eclamata. And Canyon. Uh, I don't even know how to say Canyon. I guess Canyon is just a toned down version of Grey Cliff because you still are going up vertically and you can't drop down to lower areas. But yeah, that's about it. I would say if you're looking inside of each room, there tends to be a lot of similarity. The corridor sense of design really takes over, I think, throughout the entire chapter. But if you're looking at the relation of rooms to one another, then I think you get a variety. Just by looking at where locks and keys are placed, you get a lot of variety where, um, 
for instance, in Eclamata, uh, the only lock is the river, and you apply two different keys to it. And uh, whereas in Zue, you get a different lock every time you enter a new area. And then in uh, Eve Green Cavern, you need to get to that boss door, and there are sort of two locks placed sequentially before it. That's all. Yeah, that's a that's a good point to make because um, you know the thing with whole stru- with structure and all that is that you it is necessary to look at the whole dungeon and see the as you put it the relationship between rooms is the important thing to look at because otherwise if you're just taking if you're just zooming in and then just isolating like one square of the map and comparing it to another isolated square of the map in another dungeon even if they're as distinct as Greycliff or Zway you're going to find a lot of similarities, but, you know, look at them in relation to the other rooms, and then you're going to notice that they are unique, because that's kind of important to look at how they relative to everything else. Okay, so... Yeah, that was the last question. How does their uniqueness... I know, and I didn't quite get the answer I was looking for. Because <laughs> no one tied the uniqueness to the setting. <laughs> I get that the locks and keys are different, but aside from that, what is the difference? I'm not really talking, I guess, structurally, we didn't talk a lot about the locks and keys, so. Like in Greycliff, you actually need two items in order to progress through the dungeon. One is the stone spear to break the blocks, and then the other is the claws that allow you to scale walls. I, don't know, Which, I was just throwing it out there. I wasn't. I wasn't yeah. actually making a point with that. <laughs> I mean, I think those items themselves characterize the dungeon, but or characterize the the setting because they're based around breaking through rocks and climbing stuff. Yeah, the thing about setting is that uh, that's why I kind of identify. That's why I identified setting as more, you know, visual and more presentation, and that's why. With the question of dungeons being simply aesthetic swaps, that's when you really need to look at, you know, structure. How are they laid out? Things like that. Because, I mean, you could make, like, the first five towers in the game, you could arrange them so that one was, I don't know, more cave-inspired or more volcano-inspired or whatever. But the point is that they're still... Okay. Actually, that answers my question. That's what I was more meaning to ask. Like... If you think that Zue would make as much sense if Zue looked like a snowy mountain, and that Ebreen would make as much sense if it looked like a <laughs> safari or whatever, right? Or I guess not. If you do, you think those things are true? Yeah, and I think you know, like kind of like with the point of Zue being wide open, and some of the comparisons I was making to Zelda games that. We've touched on that. That the um, when you come up with the structure of a, of a dungeon, you kind of are looking. Well, actually, there's really two ways you can go about it. You can you can come make a dungeon and then think, okay, what is the setting that is going to match the structure of this dungeon? Or you can kind of do it the other round, which I don't recommend if you're making a game. Is that is okay? How do I make this area feel like a volcano, which is kind of a a form and not a function approach to level design. I mean, aside from arguing which is the right way of level design, I think that if you're making a game that looks like something, you are responsible to uh, 
for make the function the, like it. Make the function follow the form. If um yeah. this discussion made me think that uh like the point about structure tying into setting all made sense, but not so much the enemies, which were another uh, I just thing. meant what the enemies looked like when I was discussing that it's not but uh, okay, so if structure is like the gameplay impact that setting has, right? If like setting implies a certain uh, structure, correct, and mm-hmm. you play through that a certain way, the setting implies certain enemies should be in a level, and then there should be like how you face the enemies should make sense regarding the setting. But I think you could mix up the enemies, put them in whatever level you feel like, and I wouldn't really notice. I, to be honest, in some ways, uh, I wouldn't really care. Yeah. Like, yeah, they look out of place, but it's like, you know what, I, I, give me cool enemies to fight, and maybe, and I won't care if there's a lava enemy in the snow region. But I think, I think that that further weakens the setting, and that weakening the setting weakens what structure is implicit from the setting. Right. Well, you know what? I think, you know, the thing with the, the gargoyle is that to me that isn't as out of place because it's, it's a more demon enemy that you can kind of stick anywhere. I mean, he's kind of just there to create mischief and be an asshole wherever he goes. But with something like the iguanas in his way, they're pretty much restricted to that area only. So I guess the way to phrase it is that some enemies based on the way they look are more region specific and others are more Others are not. You can stick them wherever you want, kind of like a Goomba. Yeah, I think that they're, like, the Gargoyle is a good example of one that's rather generic. It doesn't contribute anything to the setting of Eve Green, but it also doesn't particularly detract from it. So, anyway, back to the question. Do you think that Zue would be as effective if it looked like a snowy mountain? Not snowy mountain, but maybe a snowy tundra. (laughs) Well, hey, hey, there's a difference. Yeah, I know, but that, so you're saying that no is your answer. <laughs> I'm saying that in real life, there are landforms that are similar. Like no. flatland areas, like a safari. Yeah. You I, could have, you could have those in a cold region. So. No, I get, you're saying that you could map Zue to a different environment than the one it's already in, but you can't arbitrarily map it to any of Right, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, okay, so other dungeons feel the same way? I guess, uh, like, canyons, I don't really associate with, uh, like, like it makes sense that I have to uh, spelunk through a cavern and there might be different passages to take. And, like, there are different peaks to explore on a mountain, like in Eklamata. But a canyon, I don't really associate with any of those uh, branching paths, so it makes sense that it's just a straight shot up. It makes sense yeah. that the canyon isn't as complicated as the Grey Cliff, yeah. which is a bunch of jagged cliffs. Right, the canyon doesn't have... Again, it's a, it's a very simple structure to it. Okay. That's good enough for me. Does anyone have any remaining thoughts on the setting and structure of Teradigma Chapter 2? I don't know if this has to do with structure or setting, but I guess I want to say that, that I thought the boss for the tree was really believable. The parasite? Like, yeah, like, like in terms of 
you know, you're trying to restore plant life and the one tree that, you know, where, where all plant life is spreading from is infected with this parasite. So, you know, once you kill it, that brings plant life back to the earth. And yeah, then you go to, huh? a testament to the, like, thematic level or metaphor level that Terranigma works on. Actually, come to think of it, that's a boss room where the structure has an impact too. He has like an overgrowth on the walls and the pink things pop out. Yeah. The and then, you, know, you, you climb that mountain with the bird area and, and then you find out that you, you're just fighting some birds to rescue birds. Like, uh, I mean, what, <laughs> what happened there? They're the evil birds. <laughs> so the evil birds caused the good birds to become non-existent. <laughs> I think it's like they're corrupted or possessed or something and the only way to purify them is to kill them. Yeah. Oh. In real life too. But speaking <laughs> of, this, of the Grey Cliff boss battle, I think that that one uses structure as well too, does it not? And yeah, you can you stand on that like a pinhead. Pinhead? Well, it's yeah. like a, a tiny <laughs> plateau all the way at the top. Yes, yeah, so I, I mean, I think that that feels like the top of the mountain. Players' expectations are defined first and foremost by what they see and hear. Before they have any time to explore a dungeon, they already know how it looks and sounds. Thus, the setting provides one of the first hints at how to approach gameplay. From the base of Grey Cliff, the player expects to strive toward the peak, and the dungeon's vertical structure delivers on that expectation. In the savannah of Zue, they may expect wandering fueled by freedom of movement and that's approximated in-game with open spaces, interconnected areas, and a flat layout. Thus, it's not simply a matter of gameplay bringing story to life, but also story-serving gameplay. To dismiss this harmony is to ignore the potential of the video game medium in enhancing both traditional stories and traditional games. So, final question... Uh, Warrior fan, what is your favorite type of spider? <laughs> um, dead. <laughs> <laughs> that wounds me, Warrior fan. Golem, what's your favorite type of spider? Either it's between Goma and Red Dealer. Oh, you! I was gonna say Goma. <laughs> so my answer. Now I can't be clever anymore. Uh, well, Adrian, uh, you have one second to think up a clever answer for this question. What is, oh, okay. <laughs> well, two Zelda ones doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, Say man. Then how about those weird spider Damn it, enemies no one in Mario my answer too. <laughs> Those weird spider things in Mario 64. Uh, the water spiders? Yeah. Yeah, okay, you like water spiders? Alright. I don't think those actually are spiders. No, okay, you have to come up with another answer because those aren't uh, actually spiders. Oh, what the fuck? <laughs> okay, um, are there any spiders in Metroid? Oh, uh, there's a spider ball. <laughs> <laughs> you really, really missed an obvious one there. <laughs> God damn it! Ah. Uh. Come up with another one, because I said that one. You stole my answer, man. There's a lot of answer stealing going on here. I think we need to work on the spirit of the group. <laughs> All right. 
Well, I think that brings to a close our discussion of spiders, Terranigma, and setting. All music in this podcast is taken from Terranigma. I'll leave you with this final thought. If setting and structure can work together to pronounce a clearer vision of Terranigma's adventure, can characters with their stats and controls do the same for Street Fighter 2? Can exposition work together with quick-time events in The Walking Dead or Asura's Wrath? And when do gameplay mechanics themselves have a broader theme? If you have any comments or questions, please email vgcommune at gmail.com. How long has it been? Do we want to do one more? It's been an hour. Nah, we don't need to do another one. Um, what other one is there left? Uh, we didn't really talk about Eclamata very much there. I just meant in terms of discussing the structure. Oh. Um. Golem, can you cut out the, the stuff where I say is there another one? Sometimes you don't cut out stuff that I expect you to. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's a pain in the ass, but, uh. No, the yeah. more I can cut out, the better. I look for everything that I can. Oh, uh, yeah, well, you can certainly cut out that. Ha, 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 ha.